Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. Tonight we apply our patent-pending Stanley rubric to Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Currently streaming on Stars or VOD. But before we launch into this week's movie, next week we will be covering a movie that's been the most requested episode I've had to this point of the show. Pretty Woman, starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And we're welcoming back our returning guest favorite, my mother, Chris Duncan. You won't want to miss that one, so catch it on Hulu before next week's show. Also, you can still sign up for our weekly newsletter either by the website in the show notes, you can subscribe at the bottom of every page, or you can email us at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we've moved the schedule around a bit in the first half of the year, but we are still planning our schedule to finish the spring and into the summer, including a tiebreaker show, a revisit, and another list episode, as well as much, much more. So get in touch with us on Instagram, Twitter, by email, or on our website to let us know what you would like us to cover yet this year. With that, Dad, do you remember the first time that we saw this movie? I do. We were all at the movie theater together, and I think this was, I know Malta was with us, and I'm trying to remember if Nikki and Simon were also with us. As we no, saw this was much thing. before this, or okay. much before that. All right. Well, uh, I know Malta was with us. Yes. And we all went as a family to the theater in Wisconsin Rapids to watch it. Now, you're forgetting a couple of important context clues for this one. So first off, it was the night before Malta was supposed to leave. Do you remember why we even went to the theater to see this one? No. So at the time, I was a big fan of what uh, Sarah referred to as PS News. And this was smattered all over SportsCenter and ESPN for like a good month before it came out because they were advertising it because they were getting product placement for ESPN 8, the Ocho, in the middle of it. (laughs) Now, with that being said, I was grounded to my room for two weeks leading up to this movie, and I finally just couldn't take it anymore. So I said I would pay for everybody to go see this movie so I could get out of my room. Okay. You didn't get grounded into your room very often, but I don't remember what I did. I, it I wasn't running me. through the door, was it? God, you were blending together completely different stories and years. You're like four or five years ahead of time but with that story. Well, it's all a blur. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, my entire high school years were, were nothing but a, a fast period of time. All I know is, is I just kept having to going to your basketball games and you didn't play and then I'd miss one and you start. Yeah, that was about right. Anyway, at the time, I remember you remarking that this was an instant classic when we walked out of the theater. What about this movie made an instant favorite for you? Oh, the lines, just some of the lines were just absolutely precious. Uh, and it's not the ones that are quoted or you can even find online. It's, for example... Uh, Gary Cole doing the intros for ESPN, the old show where, you know, it's got it all. It's got drama think, or um, something. And then Grit, continence, determination and continence. And it's we've seen it all to this point, folks. <laughs> but lines like that, just I don't I have just it. Laughed. I'm I just going to preview a little bit. You know that I'm obsessed with this movie. I have 29 nominees for best lines. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Gary Gary Cole did such a great job in this just deadpanning through the oh, entire absolutely. thing. 
and he comes up a lot. Let's just say there are three recurring themes to the line. There is Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks. There is White Goodman. And then I have a whole subsection just to itself on Patches O'Houlihan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as we do each week, let's jump into the basic plot summary recognition and the context for this film. Do you have your plot summary ready? I do. A lackadaisical gym owner, Vince Vaughn, is surrounded by a former star, Rip Torn, and a cast of misfits seeking to save his gym from a vile rival gym owner, Ben Stiller. Cast for this movie, Vince Vaughn as Peter Pete Lafleur. Cram it up your cram hole, Lafleur. Christine Taylor as Catherine Kate Veach. Ben Stiller as White Goodman. Rip Torn as Patches O'Houlihan. Hank Azaria as the young Patches O'Houlihan. Justin Long as Justin Redman. Stephen Root as Gordon Pibb. Alan Tudyk as Pirate Steve Cowan. Joel David Moore as Owen Dittman. Chris Williams as Dwight Baumgartner. Or, excuse me, Baumgarten. I don't know why that's so weird for me to say. Missy Pyle as Fran Stalinaskovich Davidovitsky. <laughs> Jamal Duff as Michelle Jones. Gary Cole as Cotton McKnight. And Jason Bateman as Pepper Brooks. And if you haven't seen the movie, I won't ruin all of the cameos, but there are so many random ones in here. This was the... 2004 ESPYs Award Best Movie uh, or Best Sports Movie nominated. 2005 MTV Movie Awards. It was nominated for Best Comedic Performance for Ben Stiller. Best On-Screen Team for Vince Vaughn, Christine Taylor, Justin Long, Alan Tudyk, Stephen Root, Joel Moore, and Chris Williams. And Best Villain for Ben Stiller, which he won. It was also a nominee for the 25th Golden Raspberry Awards as Worst Actor, Ben Stiller, for collectively that year, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, Along Came Polly, Envy, and Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Just a great year for Ben Stiller. Oh, yeah. All the way to the bank. So, and he got to hang out with my buddy Snoop Dogg. That's true. Did you know? Did you know Justin Long's eyebrow was actually cut open by the first wrench thrown at him? All the wrenches thrown were made of rubber, but the first was harder than all of the others. Did you know? Many studios, including DreamWorks Pictures and Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, passed on this movie. 20th Century Fox finally agreed when Ben Stiller reduced his salary to well under $1 million. As of March 2005, the movie has grossed over $124 million, when it only cost $23 million to make. Pretty good investment. Did you know? Gary Cole and Jason Bateman had to keep redoing their voice recordings for the dodgeball matches because everyone kept changing stuff in the screenplay during the shoots. Did you know? The original title of this movie was simply Underdog. Did you know? Patton Oswalt did the Foley work slash voice for the scene where Ben Stiller is having his private time with sour cream on top of pizza. He also voiced the video store clerk calling about the three overdue videos at the movie's beginning. Did you know? <laughs> Norm MacDonald can be seen in some of the Globo Gym scenes. One is in the Globo Gym commercial that starts the movie where he is in the background working out. At one point, he is talking to some girl who is working out, and this looks like he is hitting on her. Finally, did you know? Bridgie Nielsen was briefly considered for the role of Fran. 
That would have been interesting. Anyway. So what is this movie about, Dad? Lovable losers win in the end over the cool kids. Yeah, as yours was much briefer than even my own. Mine uh, feels very similar to your summary. An apathetic gym owner fights back against the bigger mega gym owner who is trying to buy him out by winning a dodgeball tournament. Okay. Pretty simple. Sure. Fairly straightforward, easy concept, good sports movie. Uh, Got a good enough premise that you can get a lot of humor out of it. So let's go over to best performance then. Who'd you have down? The Razzia winner, uh, Ben Stiller. So I did too, but why did you have him down? Because he was so he was he was funny and yet just you love to hate him. He That's exactly so, it. He was so nasty and so vile. He bordered on being just disgusting, but at the same time you're just like, oh, I got to see more of this. His level of obnoxious behavior and egotisticness was engaging, engrossing, and yet was the perfect foil because in no way is he an endearing character enough that you at any point want him to win. It's the perfect sports movie foil because you you want to see him lose in the end and there's going to be a climactic moment where eventually he's going to lose. Without him being so over the top in this role, being such a ham with the with the performance, the movie doesn't work. He's carrying so much weight by being such a comedic villain. As good as he is, Vince Vaughn yet turns in one more performance where he's basically a piece of furniture. Well, that's Vince Vaughn's career. <laughs> yeah. There are very few Vince Vaughn films where I feel like he's doing a whole lot. Swingers and maybe Wedding Crashers. That's about it. Yeah. But honestly, we've said it before. Comedies are usually made by the surrounding cast. Yeah. So that takes us to best secondary performance. Who'd you have down? Ill for love, Stephen Root. You and I are overlapping so hard today. He's just perfect. Just from the moment of him just being a bumbling idiot to the moment where he gets angry. Basically, I once heard an interview with uh, Phil Collins where he was talking with Mike Ruffethird and Tony Banks, and he was commenting about the uh, Mike and the Mechanics and their lead singer, Paul Carrick. And he said, I would listen to Paul Carrick read the Yellow Pages or sing the Yellow Pages. And Stephen Root could do almost anything, and I think he would be hilarious doing it. It's somewhat of a travesty that he wasn't in our best character actors list. He's had so many great small roles. I thought I had him in. I'd have to look back. I don't remember him being in I'm pretty sure I had him in because I think he's wonderful. But Office Space, Barry, which is a show on HBO that you and I watch, he has just so many small moments. He pops up in some of the oddest places, and he's got some of the best range. I know you love him as a comedian. But he is great from everything from the new Perry Mason uh, down to some of these just like because even Barry, he's doing somewhat of a dramatic and comedic role. And he just shows up in some of the best places in, in TV and movies. And this is just simply one of his best roles. 
The get mad scene is one of the emotional highs in the movie and probably the best pure uh, sports movie scene outside of the sudden death scene at the end. And he makes that role by being the nicest guy who clearly everybody can step on and he just plays it beautifully. Like, I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes people are just destined to be actors. This is a guy that has clearly found himself to be a pure actor's actor and yet never probably gets much credit yes i mean yeah like i said he did west wing he had a part in uh if i remember right he's done a bunch of the um cohen brothers movies like he's yep. got a small part in um brother how art thou um oh, brother where art thou yes sorry and uh he he's just done so many different things and done it well first time I remember seeing him was a TV show uh, called Network News, which was oh, sure. uh, radio news, excuse me, with Phil Hartman. And uh, he played the station owner, and he was just hilarious on that. I honestly just wish for him to be in as much stuff as he wants to be in at this point. He's just great every time he pops up. Hopefully he's around for a number of years yet to enjoy well, and I think he's carved out some spaces for himself, and he picks good projects. So, uh, again, you enjoy it for the arc of whatever their career is going to be. But I, I just, again, I enjoy him anytime he pops up, and I, I wish him as many opportunities as possible. Most charismatic, it's the belated Rip Torn for me. He pretty well defines the raunchiest parts of this movie. He's off-color. Some of the best lines of this movie all come from him being that off-color guy, but it's just the character that most often brings a smile to my face. I, I don't know. There, there's just a quality, and he is larger than every scene he's in. His presence is just so big in the movie. He, uh, It's like um, a gaseous state of matter that he fills in all of the cracks of the cre- whatever container he's in in this movie. Every scene that he's in that needs any crevice felt or filled in at all, he does it with his personality, with just how big that character is. And it's frankly a no-brainer to me that he's the most charismatic. I, I agree. I mean, it's just... He's done so many different things throughout his career where he has done this. From the Larry Sanders show where he was bigger than life. I mean, he's he, – there are so many stories. You know, uh, for example, one of them is is that he co-wrote uh, Easy Rider. He was supposed to have the part that Jack Nicholson had. And what ended up happening is is he and Dennis Hopper were were high on acid. And somehow or another, they got into a fight, and Rip Torn pulled a knife and held it to Hopper's throat, and uh, Peter Fonda had to pull him off. And at that point in time, they threw him out of the film and cast Jack Nicholson for that part. And there was a big argument about this, and later on, on one of the talk shows, I want to say it was on Arsenio Hall, there was a story about where this all came out, where... Uh, Dennis Hopper discussed it. Rip Torn sued him for slander and won and got like a $5 million judgment against Dennis Hopper. Wow. Yeah. 
And uh, so it's debatable of how much this story is accurate or not accurate, but that's kind of a Hollywood legend. So safe to say I'm going to have to cut that whole thing. Why? Do you really want it existing in the ether when Rip Torn's estate has already at least won one time? (laughs) I'm just reporting what was said. I'm not saying I believe it. Don't yeah, but you're getting it. crazy. It's good. Well, all right. I'll leave it to our legal expert as to how, how to proceed on that one. So best scene, do you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> all right. The car wash. Get in there with that and wash inside the tires. <laughs> wow, did that you strange, picture that? Yeah, the, the strange guy standing there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, boy, get in that ass and deep lag. Yeah. That's the line. Also not one of my 29 nominations. <laughs> All right, your turn. I, I really thought about it because, again, we watch some of these movies, and you normally don't look through the critical lens, but when you do, there are things that just oddly become apparent to you for the first time. I really love the opening infomercial. It's a great introduction of White, but you get every layer of what his character is in that scene. All the rather despicable things and the cliche things that we hate about mega gyms, and we'll get to some of the lines, but you know whether it's the plastic surgery or, or uh, I guess I have to kind of paraphrase it a little bit here because uh, I don't have it immediately in front of me. But you know, we don't, or if you don't hate yourself enough in order to do something about your fitness level, and like promoting that as a body image <laughs> issue. Yeah. And so you automatically come to define that portion of it, finished off with the final piece of we're here at Globo Gym, we're better than you, and we know it. And that just how great that introduction is to a character without having to say a ton. And yet they still throw in things like baldness, or we think of genetic disorders like baldness and necrophilia. And it's just got so many great small lines in there that are just throwaways. Uh, yeah. I, I just love how well written and well done that scene is. And it just sets up the rest of the movie in a very great light without having to do a ton of heavy lifting. And so I, I enjoy the craft of how good that scene is. I enjoy the opening sequence of the, uh, of uh, average Joe's gym where the characters are all introduced, you know, where it's Steve, the pirate uh, at, you know, tax where Justin is uh, describing the, or cheerleader tryouts and, and Gordon uh, with the obscure sports quarterly yes. and Owen with his voicemail dating. Yes. I just, I just enjoy that whole sequence because it really tells you something about each character and kind of foreshadows the, where the movie is going to go. Well, it gives them all a personality and a specific flaw, but unites them in all being misfits or, the classic version of losers. And I don't try and mean that derogatorily because you can see and relate to all of them in certain ways. It's it's a lovable loserdom, but it's what makes them or humanizes all of these characters and thus makes you want to root for them. Yes. 
So my next one is Uber American Films. <laughs> yes. Only in a really great comedy can you combine these things. Opium Addicted Chinaman, that's a bad word, kids, don't use it, with lead-based paint, ADAA, and the five Ds of dodgeball, and cover some of the best parts of this movie. Yes, and of course, Hank Azaria doing almost the same voice as Brockmeyer. Yeah, pretty much. But <laughs> you go from Uber American films, where it looks like a German war propaganda, propaganda film. <laughs> yes. To talking about the American Dodgeball Association of America. I mean, the, you already know you're set off on a weird pace. Then you get opium-addicted Chinamen who threw severed heads at each other. <laughs> and then all you have to do is uh, learn the five Ds of dodgeball. Duck, dive, dip, duck, and dodge. Or dodge, <laughs> duck, dip, dive, and dodge. I, I said it incorrectly. Yes. But but how many of those lines, when we first were talking about this movie, and we I swear you and I are two of its biggest fans and have promoted it as just about as much as any other fan. Have we not quoted the five D's? Of course. I mean, it's a must. Yes. Yes, but it the, is. It's a must. The, again, here's the craft of this. For anybody that's not familiar with the sport, when you're talking about a sports film, how many of these sports, if you don't know how to play baseball or what the, the general rules are, are you lost in Major League or Bull Durham? If you've never experienced football, are you lost in any given Sunday? This film does a great job of combining a comedic scene with some weird film that you would expect to be shown in somebody's AV class in the mid-90s and yet explains all of the rules to dodgeball in such a very succinct way that makes it incredibly memorable and sets up the uh, sports aspect of all the movie so that the audience isn't lost at all. Did you play dodgeball in grade school? Oh, of course. But we yes. had so many different forms of dodgeball. Well, I remember, I mean, when we would... You know, most of the time we would have to go outside for gym class, and on days where it would rain, the gym teacher would take us into the gym and my grade school, which was in the basement. And so we had like a eight-foot ceiling. It's really hard to do a whole lot with an eight-foot ceiling, but you certainly could play dodgeball. And, of course, everybody would gang up on the the weaker kids. So, uh, I have a feeling you were say, one of them. Yes, I was. Being short and little er and pudgy, yeah. So, more isn't great memories for me either at times. So let's move to the next scene. The regional qualifier. The scene, is the most of it leading is okay. It's the end where she they get disqualified. Yeah. Getting your ass kicked by Girl Scouts who are mean, obnoxious, and cunning, only to have it undone by a hairy-armed girl, Bernice, with one of the most classic lines of my lifetime, tested positive for three separate types of anabolic steroids and a low-grade beaver tranquilizer, is just the <laughs> kicker. <laughs> Thanks, Bernice! Oh, it's <laughs> goddamn you, Bernice! <laughs> 
Oh, I mean, oh, that, that, that is just so classic because you don't expect it at all. When they lose that match and you're like, okay, so how are they going to get out of this one? You're not expecting it for somebody to be disqualified. And the fact that somebody gets disqualified in the same movie where the pivot point is Lance Armstrong just gives it that much extra, <laughs> like, you know. Well, and of course, being a fan of Revenge of the Nerds, the guy giving it is Curtis Armstrong, who's Booger. Yep. I don't know. It, it's just one of those great setups, and the the line is just so classic for the delivery because everything is leading to that punchline, and it pays off so beautifully. Yes. All right, so my next one was Costume Switch. Oh, my sweet Jesus. That's rad. <laughs> okay. This isn't a remaining question, but it's certainly a weird one. Why does everyone look shocked at their attire? Look at the other contestants in the competition. You have the Inner City Champs in full bling, the Lumberjacks in suspended shorts and flannels, and the Kamikazes that are in basically diapers and bandanas. <laughs> But yet we're going to pause this because we haven't seen people in assless chaps before? In Las Vegas, no less. Uh, you have to pay double for that, Cotton. Despite that, we do get a great cameo from Hasselhoff. And the thing that was so beautiful about that, especially the first time we saw it, was you already mentioned it. So for context, our family has hosted... Uh, I think 18 different exchange students across 14 years. And that particular year, our German, well, my brother, happened to be with us. He watched this movie. He loved it. But we've been teasing him all freaking year about Dirk Nowitzki and the humming to himself at the free throw line, David Hasselhoff songs. And all of the things surrounding that, because for whatever reason, David Hasselhoff was this huge star in Germany. And then all of a sudden, they play into this huge cliche where Team Blitzkrieg is coached by David Hasselhoff, and they're <laughs> worshipping his picture. And the irony was entirely uh, palpable. It's just a great memory for us. So if for nothing else, that scene has intrinsic personal value. Yes, I have White at uh, Kate's house. There are so many great lines from that, you know, where he's going to date her after she gets him, or he gets her fired. And nobody makes me bleed my own blood. You know, the him versus LaFleur and, and the interplay between the three characters. It was kind of like a climactic scene where as far as the love triangle, where it was clear that at this point in time, she's cho- or choosing the lovable losers over white. Well, and she just needed the permissible excuse or uh, permission to basically go with them. That wasn't going to put her job at risk. Yeah, because most lawyers do envision themselves eventually being dodgeball champions. I have to imagine. I have dreams. You, you go fulfill them, Dad. I will. All right. My my next one is uh, Gordo Get Mad. It's, as I said before, probably the best sports scene of the movie because it's that cliche point in any sports movie where everything seems lost 
and the least expected thing happens, like Serrano in Major League finally hitting a curveball, or the team laying all of their jerseys on the coach's desk and Rudy. Just the way it happens is endearing because it's finally Gordon delivering on his promise as the taken advantage of nice guy with his shitty wife and finally pushing back. It's probably the sole reason this one scene that he's our best secondary performer. I like, uh, as far as another scene, the training with patches. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. And that whole thing leading into dodging cars and and all of the rest of that stuff with the whole sequence, which is basically uh, inflicting pain. So I wonder, and this would be a bit of a thought experiment. I went into the movie knowing that was going to be a part of it. It was a huge part of the campaign uh, of the marketing ahead of time. I wonder if nobody has any familiarity with this movie whatsoever, if they go into it clean, not knowing that that's there, if it's even funnier when it actually happens. Because it's combining great physical comedy at the same time with something so ridiculous and over the top, and yet he completely makes the point of it being sports-related. In a way, he is correct. You know, there there are necessary characteristics between dodging traffic or dodging a wrench to somehow being able to dodge ball. Like you don't think of it in that way, but there, there are some tangible shareable skills between those things. Did you have any more scenes? Cause I, I have, have two few. more. Thank you, Chuck Norris. All right. So that moment, that exact moment where Chuck Norris comes on was such a holy shit moment. The first time I saw it, The building drama where you know in the back of your mind they're going to figure out how to end up playing the match. The crowd is on their side. They're going to the rules committee. You know that third vote is going to happen, but then it's fucking Chuck Norris. (laughs) And you you had no idea it was going to happen. And then fucking bam, there's Chuck Norris. It's such a great payoff. And it's literally like two lines. He sticks his thumb up. He gets to smile, and he's Chuck Norris, and he's probably one of the biggest uh, indelible moments of this frickin' movie for that one moment. (laughs) It's so perfect. Because I can't imagine anybody else who would have been in that spot that would have had nearly the impact. Well, because of how cheesy he is. Like, he's almost at this point famous for just being Chuck Norris. And so other than... Like, I'd have a hard time thinking of who else could just legitimately show up, not take themselves so seriously that they're willing to be the random celebrity judge on a dodgeball tournament in (laughs) this movie. I mean, and yet that would, by his appearance alone, be funny. Uh, Yes, I know. I um, I don't know. It was just so perfect. It It was a meld that you don't expect. And yet it's the perfect one when you when it comes about. <laughs> what else do you have down? Um, I had uh, the scene, Lance Armstrong. Well, I guess, and I, I'm paraphrasing because I didn't find the quote, people would have nothing else to regret for the rest of their if, lives. If people always gave up when the going got tough, they'd never have anything to regret for the rest of their lives. But good luck for you, Peter. Bet this decision won't haunt you for the rest of your life. (laughs) Uh, Laying it on a little thick there, Lance. 
I don't know that that we're gonna get to that for classicness, but that scene has some very complicated feelings for me. All right, my last one that I had down. Continuation rule 113D, sir. Sudden death. This reminds me of the Helsinki episode of 1919, and we all know how that turned out. I mean, what a great sports movie finish. You know that this entire movie is built on it's got to go down to Peter versus White. It's the Joe versus the egomaniac capitalist. It, it is the mano a mano showdown you're looking for, and it's the only way it could have ended in the sports movie. And they set it up even before that, where they're like, well, what does a double fault result in? Well, if a game ends on a double fault, it goes to a continuation rule 113D. And it's just thrown out in the middle of things while they're walking through the casino like you don't have to pay attention. But when it comes about, it's the perfect piece. And then all the buildup, the drama, the random appearance, uh, reappearance by Patches with the bl- with the uh, scarf that he then uses as a blindfold. I don't think he's going to see very well, Cotton. I mean, it's just so perfect. It builds all of that to it. And you think, oh, of course White's going to be able to just plow a ball right into his sack. And yet he somehow uh, matrixes himself out of the way and throws a perfect strike that knocks White back. And you get the payoff that the entire movie has been building to up until that point. And it's so fitting. And for being a sports movie that you kind of have the ending sometimes right itself. We talked last week how a lot of comedies have difficulty sticking the landing. The movie doesn't work as well if you don't stick this landing, but it stuck the landing. Yes, it did. This is one of the better endings to a comedy movie that I can think of. Absolutely. So do you have any others? No, I don't. I, I have a couple, but they're more tied to specific lines, and I think it would be better to do them as we give the quotes well said so what was your favorite then i still love the whole training the whole scenes with um the throwing of the wrenches and the dodging traffic it's just i i just find that to be just absolutely precious and part of the movie that i always remember yeah it's probably some of the biggest scenes with patches but for me I could pick several. I love a lot of these. I thought about it for a while. And if there's one that I have to pick out to rewatch, it's probably Gordo Get Mad. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, just him finally realizing the anger within himself and releasing on it and being able to come back. And it's not even that he got help doing it. He takes out all four of those. I think it's the Cougars by himself and has so many sports cliches in it, and yet it's, like, the the part I want to root for the most. So most indelible moment? Well, it ultimately comes down to, would somebody catch a ball out there? Which is uh, when Patches is trying to coach them at the in Las Vegas. That, that quote, to me, always will be the one that I remember the most from the movie. And... Just having Patches interact and trying to coach them in Vegas is just the key. I had it as a tie. I think remembering it back to when I was most fond of this movie after we had just first seen it, Uber American Films is probably the thing that sticks out the most because of how just 
inane that entire sequence is and how many memorable parts are on that. We already mentioned ADAA, the five D's of dodgeball, opium addicted Chinaman, all of that stuff. And again, kids don't use that word, please. But the, the tie also has to go to, I think the most indelible part of this is patches of Hulan. It's one of those characters that is so ridiculous and, but yet ridiculously large that it takes over a good portion of the movie even after he's gone. Spoiler alert. I, I, I just think he he's seared for as many different things as he contributes to the movie from lines, from his presence, from the personality, to the coaching. Every other part of it is influenced by him about the instant that he shows up going forward in this movie. And it really turns on a dime what this movie is after he comes about particularly the ripped torn version of him. So that's probably a good place to take a quick break. We will be right back. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us after the break. Hope you had a good one. Quickly, before we get to best funniest lines, Dad, did we lose anyone this week? A longtime character actor is better known for TV, but did do about 20 different movies. Robert Olkovich or Olkowitz. I think it's Olkovich. Okay, he uh, he had a large part on, or had a running part or running running character on Cheers. He did Newhart, he did ER, he did a ton of different TV shows, but he also did several movies: Still Watch, uh, Many Happy Returns, Heartbreaker, Calamity Jane, uh, The Executioner's Song, and Future World, which was the original which uh was a yul brenner film that started or was the basis for the hbo series do you mean westworld correct future world was a film that was done uh and then they took that concept and made westworld from it no there was an older movie called westworld that they remade as a tv series well also with yul brenner in it i believe actually yeah, I know Yul Brynner did the original, but all right, so apparently yeah, I'm mistaken. Was, even the movie was based on a Michael Crichton book, if I remember right. Wouldn't surprise me. I think he did both that one and Jurassic Park as part of his, like, odd theme park series. All right, this is probably the good jumping off point then. As I said, I have 29 nominees. Yes, I must love this movie. So... Let's rapid fire these, get these out of the way, and then we'll get to the scoring. Sound good? Sounds good. You can get us started, Pop. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. White Goodman, we're better than you, and we know it. No one makes me bleed my own blood. Here at Globo Gym, we understand that ugliness and fatness are genetic disorders, like baldness or necrophilia. And it's your fault if you don't hate yourself enough to do something about it. Peter LaFleur. Thank you, Chuck Norris. Peter and Justin. Hang on a second. You want to become a cheerleader to prove that you are not a loser? Yeah. Why? Nothing. High school's just changed a bit since I was a kid. Young Patches O'Hulahan. Remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge. Duck. Dip. Dive and dodge. Peter and Kate. I found that if you have a goal that you might not reach it, but if you don't have one, then you are never disappointed. 
And I got to tell you, it feels phenomenal. Well, I guess that makes sense in a really sad way. Will someone catch a goddamn ball? It's like watching a bunch of retards trying to hump a doorknob out there. Well, that's all well and great, but we're still missing the teenage love puppy and Steve the Pirate. Who is Steve the Pirate? The only guy on our team that dresses like a pirate? Wait, there's a guy on our team who dresses like a pirate? (laughs) You're about as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop. By the way, there are so many different uh, uh, small phrasings or differences in the unrated versus the regular version. Uh, In the unrated version, it's cock-flavored lollipop. Ooh. Just, just making that that slight difference. It it does change the line. Yeah. Peter and White. Hey White. Yeah. You'd look awful fat in those pants. Ill for love. Owen. Maybe we could pay it off in Canadian dollars and save ourselves some money. <laughs> uh, Go turn. ahead. I'm out. Oh, you're out already? I'm out already. Oh, good Lord. White and Kate, we should mate. What? Date. We should date sometime. Socially. Go out and kick it. Sorry, I I, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. In some cultures, they only eat vomit. I've never been there, but I read about it. In a book. (laughs) Peter at the bar. Oh, hey, White. I didn't know Nazi camp got out until eight. Did you decide to skip arts and crafts? Yes, I did. White. That's me. White. W-H-I-T. E. Kate and Dwight. Don't worry, Justin. That guy is a jerk. Yeah, he'll probably fall off the roller coaster and break every bone in his body. Nice, Dwight. I'm just saying. My cousin. Boop. Dead. Owen and Dwight. I'm going to catch up with you guys later. I'm going to have a bathroom, go to the drink in in the bathroom. Whatever you do, wash your hands. White. Oh, I don't think I'm a lot dumber than you think that I thought that I think I w- thought I was once. White and Peter. Donde esta la biblioteca, Pedro? White. We're opening a new Globo gym in Mexico City, so I've been boning up on my Spanish. White Goodman, you're going down the floor like a sweet muffin. The amount of times that I've used that one is enormous. Cotton McKnight, Las Vegas, a city built on hot sand, broken dreams, and $5 lobster. A city where you can get a happy ending if you pay a little extra. A city home to a sporting event greater than the World Cup, World Series, and World War II combined. (laughs) Cotton and Pepper. Average Joe's has a tough job facing the lumberjacks. These woodsmen probably haven't even smelled a woman in eight months. They must masturbate a lot, Cotton. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cotton and Pepper. I'm being told that Average Joe's does not have enough players and will be forfeiting the championship match. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> uh, Cotton McKnight. In 23 years of broadcasting, I thought I'd seen it all, folks, but it looks like Peter LaFleur has actually blindfolded himself. 
He will not be able to see very well, Cotton. <laughs> Cotton and Pepper. Looks like it's going to be a two-on-one, a menage a trois of pain. Usually you pay double for that kind of action, Cotton. Cotton and Pepper. It looks like the clock is about to strike midnight on this Cinderella story, turning average Joes into the proverbial pumpkin. I sure do like pumpkins, Cotton. <laughs> and the last Cotton one. Let me tell you, a double fault pl- final play elimination hasn't occurred since the Helsinki episode of 1919, and I think we all remember how that turned out. Uh, I can't believe you didn't do this one. Patches and Peter necessary is it necessary for me to drink my own urine probably not no but i do it anyway because it's sterile and i like the taste and my last one number 29 come on i've got better runs in my shorts all right had enough giggles yes ready to go to the stanley rubric all right legacy what do you have down i had a 6.5 It's one of these movies that if you talk about a funny movie, no one mentions it offhand until you do. So that's why I marked it down a bit, because it just, it's one that you have to, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, you know, that type of thing. Again, I think that that actually makes it even worse than the score that you have. Uh, This is not a movie that a lot of people have seen but know of. And as a result, other than the brief flashes with ESPN, like if ESPN 8, that joke, was not in this film and them doing their weird self-promotion, I don't know if this movie has a long tail with it. Because this is just something that's not brought up often. It's not a movie that like Anchorman or 40-Year-Old Virgin or, you know, some of the other comedies – is something that like has a weird cult following behind it. I, I really believe this when I said you and I may be two of its biggest fans. Like there was talk of a sequel, but I never knew if there was enough of an audience for this movie. And yes, it did well at the box office, but since then, like this isn't a movie that lives in the public consciousness, uh, other than maybe a few taglines here or there. Like Dodger Wrench is somewhat pop culturally relevant, but. Other than you and I doing some of these lines, it's not like there are gifts out there of anything from this movie. There's not a ton that goes on. And so I marked it at a 3.5 because I felt I had to. I, I feel bad for having to do that, but it, it's just not one that I think has a certain level of popularity with it. Well, I'm hoping that by promoting this, maybe we'll start a trend that will ultimately lead to a you know cult following but okay well this this has its moments i i really it's going to be difficult maybe in about 10 years with some of the classicness that goes with it but we'll see how this thing ages i still love this movie and there still aren't enough small cringy moments to overcome how much i enjoy watching this movie yet but there are some pieces in there so impact significance Oh, excuse me. I suppose I should give the uh, average between us. You said you had a 6.5. 6.5? Okay. I think that's a 5 between us. Yeah. Anyway, impact significance. I gave this a 5.5. It was highly promoted at the time. It had a really good return at the box office. 
it was kind of even a big deal in the short life afterwards where it was in the DVD sales. I think this has actually waned the longer it's gone on where people have kind of forgotten about the movie. And so I wish that it had some of the same fervor around that time. But other than the brief flash, or again, the brief flashes where ESPN has turned one of their channels like ESPN2 or ESPNU or ESPN News into ESPN8 for a day for the obscure sports quarterly stuff. Uh, you know, the, this isn't something that comes back around, but it just felt like a bigger deal at the time that it came out because of some of the promotion and the marketing that surrounded it. I had a five because, yeah, I remember some of the promotions, but it wasn't that huge unless you, like, lived PS News and all the rest of the sports stations necessarily i did a lot but even i didn't catch the significance of this right away so i i don't i think it had some legs but not huge so that's why i went with a five which is right in the middle well espn had a much larger cultural footprint even at that time than it does now so I, I I do think at the time where it was promoted did make a difference, but point still taken. Uh, so that's an average to 5.25 between us. Novelty, what did you have down? 6.5. An obscure sport, but making comedy out of of a sport in general, not unusual, not novel. It was... You know, I mean, we had Major League, we had Caddyshack, we had those that, you know, you could make humor out of uh, out of a sport. And to that extent, it wasn't overly novel, uh, but it did have a level of it simply because of the obscure nature of it and how it was organized. I had actually a two. Other than the concept of where the sports movie went, like you don't think of dodgeball necessarily as a sport per se, or that they'd have an organized division or tournament around it. But to me, this is a much bigger execution movie than it is anything particularly novel. It's trying to lampoon and both be derivative of other sports movies and using a lot of the same tropes that had already been done up to that point, either whether it was in comedies or dramatic sports movies. So I don't know. I I just had a hard time finding anything other than the use of dodgeball that was overly different. You have the coach who's kind of down and out. You have the cliche uh, misfits, losers, bad news bears type, and all of them trying to fight back against the system and the better uh, supposed team. It, it just seems kind of fit, but the execution is what makes this movie great. Not that it had to be overly novel. Okay. So that was a 4.25 between us. Classicness. I'll let you go first. 4.5. Because there's... I thought for sure I would have a lesser grade than you, but okay. I mean, there was a lot of references to... Uh, sexuality and uh, sexism in general and such. You know, I find it interesting that in part, you know, I mean, Christine Taylor and uh, Ben Stiller uh, are married, were married at the time. 
So it wasn't quite as bad, but just the interplay between them wasn't necessarily in today's more enlightened environment appropriate. And then some of the aspects of homosexuality versus heterosexuality and some of that. eh. So I went slightly below average uh, because of that. So the sexual harassment part between White and Kate doesn't really bother me as much. We kind of talked about it a bit with Anchorman that the way he hits on her is played up so much with, you're talking about the package bulge pump or whatever it is that he does. And that's supposed to emphasize how much of an ego this guy has on him that he thinks that anybody would be destined to fall for him. And he could just go after any woman he wants. He's got this weird uber bravado that allows him this space to do that and yet gives her enough agency to not only fight back, but basically physically take him out. And then she chooses whatever her path is going to be, even though I would say there's kind of a weird me too moment when he gets her fired. So even that, I think that's an honest moment as opposed to something that makes me cringe. So the things are where I went in my decision on this. And for context, I gave it a 5.5. So that'll be an average of a five between us. But the jokes still work. So from a comedic standpoint, I don't think they've aged out too much for me yet. I think that with a lot of the buffoonish and even some of the off-color stuff, uh, there's somewhat of an endearing quality to them, even though the Rip Torn character is so politically incorrect. But it's how he's politically incorrect and the character he's playing that makes sense and is true to the character, regardless of what the words are coming out of his mouth or the jokes that he's making. You know, um, I got a couple of hookers in my room, my treat. Well, right. And, and it's trying to play that up. Like White and Rip Torn are probably the two worst characters highlighted in this movie. And yet they are so played up as these bigger personalities that it, it's never completely taking you out of the movie. I have some small quibbles like, you know, the weirdly unnecessary platform of reinforcing the stereotype that all women who are good at sports must be lesbians in order to be good at sports. <laughs> like uh, if you re-edited this film, you could easily take that out of there. There's only a couple of weird references to it and then sets up that thing where she's by at the end of the movie, which like other than being a weird male fantasy doesn't even really make sense or add anything to this movie except reinforcing that joke. And it's not even really that funny. I don't remember it truly being that funny at the time. Yeah. Also, this is overtly racist against nuclear power plant teams from Romanovia, but let's not even get into that. <laughs> One of the other things, I, I didn't knock it for this, so I, I'll just add that on the front end, but this isn't a particularly prescient movie as this isn't really meant to say anything so much as be entertainment. I know that we kind of got into the conversation, so I'm adding a bit of a nuanced layer when I say this, that even though Anchorman, to most people, probably isn't trying to say something, it kind of did. This movie just is pure entertainment. It's supposed to be a sports movie. It's supposed to be pure entertainment. So I didn't knock it down for anything, but I do think that that didn't add anything to the equation, if if I can put that part on it. 
But for me, the weirdest part of this and where I, I knock it down is it's hard for me to watch that Lance Armstrong cameo where he's supposed to be the, and I, I truly mean this, he's supposed to be the inspiration to move the plot, you know, but I, I suppose if I hadn't given up, I wouldn't have gotten back on the bike and won the Tour de France five times after I was diagnosed with uh, brain, lung, and testicular cancer all at the same time, and trying to play up this story like he's the American hero, and it's only like, what, five years later that he's completely undone, and we're still in the middle of the mythologized version, but he's kind of in this weird cancel zone at the moment. I know he had that kind of comeback documentary, which I actually enjoyed uh, on ESPN last year that was in two parts, but there, there's a weird aura around him and how much we celebrated him at the time for overcoming cancer and all of that and how much I think he's hated right now, just just out and utter hated. And so from a public standpoint, I think that really brings down that part of the movie because it's not like it's a throwaway scene or a, a cameo that can just be edited out. It's supposed to be driving that section of the plot where, you know, Peter comes back to the game because Lance has basically shamed him. So it's it's not something that can just simply be taken out. It is a main part of what the movie is. So I ended up with a 5.5. It's going to be a 5 between us for the average. Rewatchability, straight 10 for me. I enjoyed rewatching this the other night. I texted you and everybody else, and I was just smiling the whole time. I, I remembered how much I loved this movie, and it's just an easy 10 for me. I was waffling between a 10 and a 9.5, and then I stopped to think, what would a 10 be? And I paused, and I thought... And ultimately, I came to the same conclusion, which is it's a 10. Because if I'm not rewatching this movie, I don't know what movie I'm rewatching. That's fair. I, I get exactly where you're coming from. So that's going to be a 10 between us. So the audience score on this one, 88% for Google users, six or excuse me, 76% for Rotten Tomato users for an 8.2 average. That gives us a final added score of 37.7. And would place it between Idiocracy and Cool Hand Luke on the list. Okay. So I, I figured once I started going through some of my scores on this one, it would probably end up on the lower end, which is disheartening a bit. But I understand exactly why. I, I would not put this up as a great movie of cinema, but it is certainly <laughs> an entertaining one. Yes. And, and ultimately, I mean, one of the things we keep talking about is, is that there's two parts to this show. One is, is we're trying to ultimately, of course, in the title, determine what is the greatest movie of all time. But the other is, is we're trying to help uncover hidden gems for people who like movies or love movies to who have never heard of certain movies to go back and say, hey, I'm going to watch that because they were talking about it. And getting people interested in some movies that they had never thought about or heard about or ever desired to watch. If you're a longtime listener to the show, and I think there are at least a few people that have listened through, uh, through quite a few episodes, 
you know that I haven't even seen every film that we've done so far. There are a few of them that I have watched for the first time as we're doing the show. So it's not like that uh, I do this from a full wealth and breadth of experience, knowledge, and having seen everything. I'm sometimes experimenting on some of these too, and even that is fun for me. To me, I always thought the conversation was lacking, and we go often for what is the best movie, not necessarily what is the greatest movie. And those two things are very different to me because greatness has so many other different layers where best can be defined by critics or analysts or those that study this as an art form as opposed to what a, a great factor in. That's why something like rewatchability or classicness can be factored into how we do our scoring because we're trying to or encompass a bunch of different categories, feelings, thoughts, ideas into what makes something great as opposed to just what makes something uh, quality. Neither of us have ever had any training in art or in movie making or in movie analysis or critique or anything. We're just two guys who love movies and love watching movies and love talking about movies who just like watching movies and, and talking about them to other people. So that's where we're coming from. So we hope that you're enjoying what we're talking about and how we're presenting it, being not a critic, but just two average guys who really like movies. All right, so let's move to remaining questions. I have a deeper thought question, and I have a slightly shallower version. Do you have any? No, I thought about a couple and I'm like, eh, nah, it's not worth even articulating. There were a couple of small things that I thought about that I thought were mistakes in how they made the movie, but nothing that I wanted to really ask as a deeper thought question. And then I thought of both of these just because they're unanswerable in, in many ways. So which one do you want first? I don't care. Well, let's go with the, the easier one then, and I'll, I'll save the bigger one uh, for the end here. The easier one is, was Owen gaslighting Dwight about Steve the Pirate? <laughs> okay. Because when Steve shows back up, hey, look, it's Steve the Pirate. Does he just simply, like, block it out? Is he screwing with Dwight? It's never really answered. It's just kind of there. I, I don't know. It, it gives me pause. Well, if that's yours, then I have one. Is William Shatner being William Shatner is the head of the ADAA? Is, or is, is William Shatner just, doing any part that isn't him being William Shatner? Well, that's just it. Is it William Shatner or is it just him being that part? Is the dodgeball commissioner's name essentially William Shatner or is it something else that William Shatner is playing? Yes. It's never really discussed and never determined. And That's you're just true. going, okay. And it's just as I, equally I plausible that it's William Shatner as William Shatner playing another guy doing that. Well, especially when you give it the context of Chuck Norris popping up immediately after that. Sure. We really should have done best cameo in this movie. Between Hasselhoff to Patton Oswalt's weird voiceovers to uh, <laughs> Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong to, uh, Curtis Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong to... 
you know, Chuck Norris or William Shatner, just so many random people popping up in this. Or for the that matter, Norm MacDonald, which <laughs> I, I didn't even know he was in there until I no. started reading through the trivia. I'm going to look for it the next time. Yeah. All right. So my more serious question, because I think this is a plot flaw. Why did White offer the buyout? Did he think they were going to lose and he needed the insurance to get an auxiliary parking structure for his gym? Why not then just pay the money to get a new parking structure on top of the one he already has? If the whole thing is a personal vendetta between the two, isn't handing Peter $100,000 kind of a little undermining to your motive for the whole reason of doing this in the first place? But you're actually trying to instill some sort of logic and intelligence to White Goodman. And there's nothing that shows that that actually existed. I don't know. The entire thing of the $100,000 just doesn't really make sense why he would offer it. It, I, I think it's a significant plot hole that you don't realize until you really think about it. Well, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us and the microphones and those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Next week, we will be doing Pretty Woman, starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, currently streaming on Hulu. So you won't want to miss that one. Please like, subscribe, review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram at gmotepodcast. Or find Dana or I on Twitter at TJ3Duncan or at DanaWDuncan. The Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate 